Personally, my biggest challenge I've had as an entrepreneur is you have to change roles every six months. So it's like as soon as you start to get comfortable, things are always changing again. Welcome to The Wagon Live. Today we are listening to Philippe Barrar, CEO and founder at Milo. Philip is on a mission to help Canadians achieve their financial goals through an app that rounds up your purchases and invests a spare change. He was named one of the Bay Street Bulls 30 under 30 for 2018. In this talk, he gave us useful tips on fundraising, namely how to build strong relationships with investors. A year after he launched Milo, Phil and his team had already raised $3.9 million and acquired an asset management firm with $120 million in AUM. Milo also scored a deal on CBC's Dragon's Den, and the company is frequently featured in major Canadian media, including BNN, CBC, The Financial Post, Global, and The Globe and Mail. My name is Philip Bear. I'm the founder and CEO of Milo. Uh, Milo is an application that everyone should use. It's an app that you uh, install on both iPhone and Android that links with your existing credit and debit cards. As you make a purchase of those existing credit and debit cards, we round those purchases up to the nearest dollar. Take that spare change and put it into an investment account. So every type of, every time you, you spend your money, you're actually saving a little bit and building the right habits to build up some financial literacy and then start saving and uh, build up a habit that most people don't have. So we started this um, about three years ago. It's uh, It's been quite a journey. The app's only been live for about eight months and uh, we're helping uh, tens of thousands of Canadians save money every day. Wow, that's a, a, a noble pursuit indeed. So uh, tell me, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so uh, Milo is my third uh, business. I graduated um, back from Concordia back in 2012. And uh, when I graduated, I, I wanted to decide, you know, do I jump into entrepreneurship? Do I work for a startup? Do I go into consulting? And um, I, I, I took the dive and I was a bootstrapped entrepreneur. I, uh, I took $6,000. I put everything I had directly into a business. I was freelancing at night, building WordPress websites for small businesses to be able to kind of pay the bills and, and make that happen. And uh, my jobs, my friends were getting jobs at uh, tech firms, uh, marketing agencies, making good salaries. And here I was wanting to maintain the same quality of life and standard of living that they had. Um, and you have to become really good with your money to do so. And I've always been fairly frugal and going through that process, but I learned some pretty good tips and tricks. So as I went through my first two startups and really bootstrapping that process, I, I learned all these skills I was able to apply. And I wanted to be able to do the same thing for all of Canadians. So that's how we kind of came up with the idea was, um, what's tools and tips and tricks that I've learned? How can we scale that? And how can we build a, a good platform to make that happen? Um, and, and that was the basis of an idea. So once you have the idea, you're, you're taking this process and you're going through a customer discovery process, right? You have an idea, you want to validate it um, and let the consumer pretty much build the, the, the business for you. So we went through a very extensive customer discovery process. I was hassling people at Starbucks, offering them $5 gift cards to sit down and talk to me about how they actually save and invest their money. And uh, from there, we're taking those interviews and turning them into customer discovery uh, questionnaires that we sent out and surveyed over 10,000 Canadians and came up with the idea that is Milo today. So um, how did you end up organizing your team? Yeah, we, uh, our first hire was within uh, the product. Um, product is a big part of, of what we're trying to do. I think it's extremely important to make sure that you're, you're always have the consumer in the center of, of your business and, and building it the right way. So um, our head of products actually here today, uh, Eric LeMay, and he was uh, employee number one with us and, and has gone through the, the fire with us as we, as we built that. Um, ever since it's been building out, uh, I think, a world-class team through um, 
hiring the right people at the right time, right? If we try to hire our entire executive team at the very beginning, um, the team may not have been able to scale exactly the, the right way. And um, we've been very fortunate to find the right people that are able to go through the entire process with us and, and, and help us grow what we see as one of Canada's top five fintechs. Very nice. And uh, how many employees do you currently have? We're currently at 23. But we're, we're looking to double that this year. So if you guys are interested, uh, come talk to me. Wonderful. So uh, how did you go about uh, fundraising? In fact, uh, in the startup world, there's so many different ways from which uh, you can acquire that financing. But uh, what was Milo's story? So Milo's raised uh, almost $4 million. We did so through our first $500,000 kind of pre-seed friends and family round. Uh, we did a convertible note of $750,000 and then recently raised another 2.65 through Desjardins, Anche Quebec, First Capital Partners, and a couple of other strategic angels. Um, the fundraising process is a very long and complicated one. So I'll, I'll talk to you about a little bit of tips and tricks on, on fundraising and then what our process is because we're about to start raising our Series A now. Um, one of the things that I talk to many entrepreneurs about is going and fundraising is very similar to dating. And when you try to get married on the first date, you often have a very intense grilling the way that you guys probably saw my grilling on Dragon's Den. It's a, you get the dragon if you, if you pitch for money on the very first date. But if you build a relationship early, they can actually help you build a sustainable business. They can help you um, navigate some rough waters. They get to know your business and you really get to know the human behind every investor and be able to go through that journey and, and, and start the conversation early when it comes time to asking them for money. And, and they felt like they are part of building that business with you. And they know your business inside and out. They know the, the person they are. So they don't have to ask the tough questions because they already know the answers. So that's my biggest piece of advice for any entrepreneurs is start early, build relationships. You should be grabbing a coffee a week with investors, know the milestones, know why you're building the business. Um, so for us going into our Series A and what does our Series A financing look like? Um, starts with know your narrative, know your story. You know, what, what's the success Milo's had since our seed to our Series A to be able to warrant the, the raise and valuation we've had and the traction we've had. And for us, that's all about growth. The second is your pitch deck. Our series seed pitch deck was very complicated. It was very thick. It looked like an investment banker pitch deck and had a ton of information. But being as analytical and data-driven as I am, I had software that actually tracked how, many, how much time every one of the uh, VCs looked at each slide and uh, how long they spent on the entire process. So when I went in, I'd know where the questions they had and, and, and didn't have. And the one thing I learned is People spend like two to three minutes prepping for a meeting. I thought they were gonna spend like an hour getting to know our business, doing some market research. They really don't care. They just go in and they like pitch me, I want to hear the whole thing. So um, going to our, our Series A where we have a very um, narrative driven kind of a story that's easy to understand and consume within three minutes because we know they're not spending 30 minutes or an hour. And then we're prepping the, the conversation for that. Um, next would be our, um, our investor list. So we have three strategies of how we're approaching our investors. The first is Canadian Series A investors and who's uh, invested in the space. The second is international investors uh, based in the US who've made international investments and fintech investments and the third is uh, European investors who have invested in fintech specifically so we know exactly who we're going after why they should be interested in what we're doing um, we close that off with a very strong financial model which is essentially a business plan by itself and a strong data room so having a strong data room and having the documents in advance allows them to ask you a question and you be able to turn around within you know 24 hours or within five minutes depending on you know if your phone and you can access it quickly and that really impresses them shows that you're organized and you're on top of your business very nice. Yeah. So, um, so far, what would you say the biggest challenge that you faced uh, has been? Yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot of challenges in starting a business. Um, 
Personally, my biggest challenge that I've had as an entrepreneur is you have to change roles every six months. If you get good at your job today, in six months, you won't be doing anything you're doing that you're good at today and you just mastered those skills. So it's like as soon as you start to get comfortable, things are always changing again. You're always taking on a new role and, and things are always going to be a little bit different. So for, for me, I think uh, it took a little bit of getting used to and, and it's uh, definitely something you see. There's not that many entrepreneurs that can do the Zuckerberg where you're in your dorm room getting it started and now running a multi-billion dollar company. But uh, if you're continuing on self-learning and, and pushing yourself and the right mentors and the right team around you, you continue to level up as the company levels up. Um, some of the difficulties uh, for the company, we had just started, um, and obviously building a fintech company is very difficult, right? So you, you have challenges in starting a startup, but then you add another layer of complexity on top of that for starting a fintech. You have regulatory, which is dealing with the government. You can be thrown in jail if you do the wrong thing. It's not just your company fails, but you, you go away for four years. Um, you have security. You can't launch a minimal viable product without having the right security framework and um, doing all the work. So someone might be able to validate an idea at a hackathon over a weekend, with fintech, you have to spend six months to two years actually building your product, getting security together before you can actually get that product market fit. So that's why customer discovery is very important. Um, so there's a layer of complexity with, with fintech. And for us, we had a supplier in the back end that we had just built our alpha. We had just onboarded three people onto our platform. Three. That's, that's it. And uh, one of our biggest competitors came in and bought that supplier and shut it down. And they were the only ones who could do what we needed to do in the back end. And we were kind of at a a standstill. What do we do? How do we manage? Um, luckily, we've been working with Tactics Asset Management. They're a very bright uh, team over there. We were able to come up with some trade secrets and, and IP that was able to be able to replicate something similar. Um, we became the second people in Canada to be able to do that, and we actually acquired Tactics Asset Management before we actually launched a product. So to start up acquiring an incumbent was a pretty big thing, and we turned one of our biggest challenges into one of our biggest assets. In fact, that was uh, leading on to my very next question, which awesome. was, how, how does a startup buy a, an asset management firm? You always see the opposite. Absolutely. So that was a uh, quite interesting thing. So obviously we went through some really rough times. We, we thought we had lost the business when our biggest supplier got acquired. We, we didn't know what we were going to do. And we got in the trenches with Tactics. They, they really were our partners throughout this whole process. We brainstormed. We went through regulatory conversations. They were really our allies and be able to do this and became very close. Um, they are in a traditional business, wealth management industry, where it's very difficult to acquire customers. It's not a very scalable business. And through this process of working together, they fell in love with our social mission, which is one of financial inclusion and helping people get access to financial products in a more affordable and more accessible way. Um, so what we actually did is we brought them in as partners. So we acquired them in an all equity deal. We, we, we gave them a piece of the upside. And uh, Milo, as a pre-launch company, had 120 million of assets under management and over a million dollars a year in revenue. So it was a pretty unique uh, story to pitch to investors. Absolutely. So could you get into more details about what the business model of Milo is? Yeah, that's, that's a loaded question. That's a big question. Could uh, spend the next hour talking about that. But um, I'm going to go back to the core where our product is really one about financial inclusion. Um, it's about being able to access uh, financial products and make them extremely accessible in the way that you want to access financial products, not through the way that banks are going to offer you. You have to go into the branch. People make that happen. And you do it at an affordable cost. And affordable can mean two things. It can be one, is it actually affordable and cheap? Or two, can you actually understand the cost associated with it and not have to analyze everything? So for Milo, we were able to do this through 
through a simple $1 a month fee with no additional fees. So you get unlimited investing for $12 a year, unlimited withdrawals, no hidden fees. We are the cheapest wealth management platform in the country, if not in the world. Unlimited investing, fully managed for $12. It's a, it's a bargain. But investing is only the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, when it comes to financial wellness and, and, and financial inclusion, you want to think of how do you help Canadians achieve their financial goals. And for us, Saving is the first component of that. You can start taking a look on if you're spending too much on credit card debt. Are you looking at, um, are you overinsured or underinsured for your, your insurance products? Are you paying too much for a mortgage? And most people will spend two to three, four hours trying to save, you know, 50 to $100 getting the best flight for the vacation, you know, just a little bit of money. But if they spent the same amount of time trying to save a quarter of a percent on their mortgage rates by shopping around, they could save $1,000 a year. They could pay for the entire vacation just by negotiating a better mortgage. So. For Milo, our business model is predicated off user success. We want to identify opportunities to help people save even more money in their day-to-day and, and do it with the same frictionless, easy uh, use access that they, they have currently with Milo. And, and if they are able to save money on that part, we can actually make some money in the back end there. Wonderful. Cool. And uh, here there's also there's uh, a large uh, artificial intelligence uh, component as well to uh, to the business. Absolutely. So uh, we're directly plugged in with bank accounts um, and banking information. We never sell that information. We actually worked with the ex-privacy commissioner of Canada to write our privacy policy in plain English and very easy to understand. But what we do is we use that information to help make recommendations. So we could say, for example, um, it looks like you're about to renew your insurance soon. Um, are you interested in getting a better quote? If so, we can help you make that happen. And, and using data to make informed decisions. And that's where our AI engine really plugs in. Um, and it, it, so far, it's off to a great start. Very nice. Where do you see, or what, what's your current vision for the short term and the long term for Milo? Absolutely. Um, short term, you want to help millions of Canadians start saving and invest on our platform. I think it's going to be a, it's a fantastic feat. We're already getting a ton of traction, and we want to continue doing the exact same thing. Um, next is international expansion. We're looking to, to expand internationally by beginning of 2019. And then we start moving into some of these uh, recommendations driven through the AI and helping them on a more technically seamless in the process. So right now we're going through customer discovery, we're testing things out manually, and we want to turn those learnings into a, a great product experience. Um, long term, our product is based off of one of uh, WeChat's strategy over in, in China. Um, WeChat's a great peer-to-peer -peer kind of messaging platform, but over in China, they use it for all aspects of their life. You can apply for a job through WeChat, you can book an Uber through WeChat, you can chat with your friends through WeChat, right? You can do all aspects there. In Canada, we're, we're very lazy when it comes to banking. We bank with the same bank because we don't want to download multiple apps. We don't want to go to three different branches. It's very difficult. So we full stack bank with one individual bank. Although there could be products and services that are better for you if you had a TD mortgage and HSBC credit card and an RBC checking account. Um, so my long-term vision from Milo is being able to access all aspects of your financial life within one seamless integrated platform that allows you to not have to worry about downloading three different bank apps and have to, you know, full stack bank with one bank or do anything else. You can do it all through Milo. Okay. So it's, right. it's a big vision and it's going to take a lot of effort, but I think we'll get there. So I spoke a little bit before we, uh, we started this. So you were born and raised in the United States of America and yeah. you've, uh, you came here for college and uh, you uh, found the heart to not go back to the United States and uh, stay in this wonderful city. So uh, my question is, what, the, what are the major differences between life and business and uh, every aspect of your life between Canada and the United States? It's a tough question. Um, 
Amazon Prime in the US is so much better. Like it's, it makes me almost <laughs> want to go back. Um, but besides Amazon Prime, uh, Canada is a fantastic place. It's a great European North American blend. Um, their ecosystem for entrepreneurs is one of the best I've ever seen. I wouldn't start a business anywhere else. Uh, Quebec has the self-employment program that will actually pay you a salary of $24,000 to launch your company and pay you a salary so you don't have to starve the way that I did when I bootstrapped mm -hmm. my first two businesses. I had no idea about that program. Yeah. Um, it has research and development tax credits that really mm -hmm. promotes innovations. You get 70% off any research and development projects that you guys are actually doing in terms of a, a government incentive to promote um, building stronger Canadian IP. Um, you have a great uh, ecosystem of talent here. I mean, uh, you guys are in a coding school that you guys are coming up with some of the best talent and, and, and studying AI and studying uh, some of the best, uh, you know, uh, application uh, that you could do. So um, Montreal is a great place uh, to start a company. And, and uh, you know, it's my third one here and I I'll start my fourth one here too. Yeah, there you go. Let's, uh, let's hope uh, it, it remains at three. Will this one be <laughs> as successful as possible, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So, me, what uh, what has surprised you the most about Canadian saving and investment habits? Yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot of um, things that have been really interesting. So, through the customer discovery process, we realized that 53% of Canadian millennials have less than a thousand dollars in the bank account, regardless of income. So you could be making $30,000 a year, you could be making $130,000 a year, and people spend everything they make. The financial products that are available to Canadians are not one that are in line with their habits and that they, they want to use. So that was a huge shock and a huge incentive for us to do that. Um, since we've done it, we're actually thrilled because we're hearing for the first time in many of our users' lives, they're actually saving. Like it's, it's the first time they've ever saved ever in their entire life. And they do so because they download an app that took three minutes to download and they're able to sign up and it's linked with an existing habit that they already have. And our, our users have big dreams. Uh, a lot of them are saving to, to buy their first house or to launch a business, um, which is fantastic. So we're happy to help assist them in those huge aspirations that they have. And millennials love to travel. We, we see that all the time. So a lot of travel goals within Milo. So it's uh, known throughout the startup world, in fact, in all the literature and all the blog posts, they always emphasize, especially in the early days, that the founder or CEO has to wear many different hats. And uh, so I was only asking, which uh, was there any hat that you preferred more than than the others? Yeah, you you do a lot. Um, I love the product hat. You know, you're you're building a product, you're getting it out there, you're seeing the value, you're seeing the smiles on people's faces. I, like that's fantastic. The customer discovery component, getting out of the building and talking to people is is, is great. Strategy is one that's also really fun to do. How do you compete in the landscape? How do you build a sustainable business? And how are you doing something that's really unique in the marketplace? But the hat that I didn't realize that I was going to like the most was regulatory. Um, you can actually go through 900 pages of regulatory and find the three sentences that allow you to build an entire business or completely kill an entire business. And um, it's a really unique competitive edge. It takes a lot of patience, but it's something that uh, I've become a regulatory expert and I had no idea I'd be saying that three years ago. Yeah. yeah, so no uh, no lawyer assisting you? You just did it all? You know? Lots of lawyers assisting us, but uh, I'm still pretty uh, pretty fluent in it. And uh, is there a particular hat that you dislike the, the most? Believe it or not, I actually hate public speaking. So, uh, um, sorry about that. <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, my knees used to shake when I'd go up. I was like pitching clients and like, you know, I'd be in a sales meeting and, and really not even enjoy the process of public speaking, going out there, approaching people. It, it was something that was really difficult to do. It took a lot of time and a lot of practice to go through that. But as a CEO, you have to 
if you're not the one out there selling your vision and selling the dream, then no one's going to do it, right? No one's going to know about the great things that you're building. So for, for me, that was something that took a lot of practice, uh, a lot of patience, and, 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 and went through the process. And I'm a little bit more comfortable with it now, but it's not a, not a hat that uh, I wore uh, eagerly. Fair enough. So, uh, so you studied at John Molson School of Business and uh, you had the minor in entrepreneurship? No, I actually started the minor in entrepreneurship. So when I went to Concordia, there was no entrepreneurship program at all. I went up to one of my professors and said, I want to learn about entrepreneurship. Where do I go? And she said, we don't have a program for that. So I started a committee there, um, a couple of PhD uh, students, uh, a couple of industry professionals uh, and some professors. And we actually started the entrepreneurship minor back. Uh, the initiative started in 2008 and it actually got implemented, I think it was 2013. Wonderful. And uh, what was the ma major difference between what you learn in the classroom versus applying it out there in the real world? I actually learned nothing in the classroom. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty bad. Um, I was actually president of Concordia's Entrepreneurship and Management Association. We did a lot of hands-on projects that had an impact in people's lives. Um, we ran an apprentice program where we went into Fortune 500 companies with a group of 24 students, just like the TV show, and actually got students' jobs at the end of the process and went through there. So um, running a lot of these hands-on projects, you learn project management, you learn how to put together proposals, you learn how to network, you learn how to do outreach. So I learned more through the student association and actually running these like mini businesses, mini projects, um, than I did actually in the classroom. And I think when I graduated and I was able to go out and, and get started, um, I had a level of comfort because I, it wasn't the first time I was doing it and I had gone through that process before. So I think that was the part that I took the most away from, from, from my time at Concordia. So what's, uh, what's the best part about uh, your role right now as the CEO? Like what do you love the most about it? There's a lot of great things. Um, building the team. We, we have a fantastic team around us. It's, it's quite incredible to actually start to be able to, to scale our operations. At first, you know, it's tough to delegate. It's like, this is your idea. This is your dream. This is what you want to do. You want to implement everything. You want to be part of every single conversation. And you're starting to see things happen. You're starting to see people show up in the office that you didn't know they were going to show up. And you're like, who's that guy? And what are they doing? And they're meeting with someone else. And, and you hear about this incredible thing they're working on. Um, and it's it's a really different environment than than being you know a team of like five people. So that's really special. Um, fundraising is is incredible because you're meeting all these great talented people who've probably been past entrepreneurs before. They're not only helping you financially, but they're giving you mentorship. They're giving you resources, giving you guidance and what to do. So our investors are, are a great asset to to our team as well. Um, and international expansion has has been a fun project. Uh, I can't wait for that one to be complete, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Are you uh, able to say when you uh, you intend to launch uh, outside of Canada? Yeah, we're we're planning on uh, beginning of 2019, and we're looking at uh, Europe next. Wonderful. Whereabouts in Europe? Probably France, right where Le Wagon came from. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me something. We, as you know, you uh, went on Dragons Den and pitched the company. I know a lot of our uh, of the people in the crowd tonight want to, to hear about that. So tell tell us a little bit how that was. It was. Quite an interesting uh, experience. So we didn't actually apply to be on Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den, the producer called us, said, we saw your Facebook ad. We want you to come and, and pitch on the show, and we want you to do it in three weeks. We hadn't even launched the product. We, this was April or March of last year. And we were still in building the, the product. We're still in financing mode. Um, there's a lot of risk too, because what happens if you go on as an early company and you make a complete fool of yourself? What are you doing on, on TV? It could absolutely kill your business. So there's a lot of risk with going on Dragon's End that we, we contemplated whether or not we should do it. Um, and my partner, Liam Chung, had actually thrown out his back two weeks, like 
two weeks before we went. So we said, okay, we're doing this, we're moving forward. He threw us back almost the next day. And he's like, I'm not even sure if I'm gonna be able to walk or if I'm gonna be in bed rest for the next three weeks. Um, so we practiced every single day at his house. So he was lying down on the couch and went through the whole process. And we finally got our pitch down and then he got to a point where he's like, okay, I can do this. I can stand up for a little bit. We went over to Dragon's Den, got started at like six in the morning. Um, all the other teams were there. We got to the studio. We're all Starbucks uh, right before. It's like 5.30 in the morning. All these entrepreneurs, their t-shirts, that say Milo or whatever companies they were at, were at Starbucks. Everyone's nervous. You can just feel that nervous energy. You go over to the studio at six. They put you in a room and, and you wait. You go through briefings to do everything else. And um, finally, they, they give you an order. We were supposed to be like fifth or sixth for the day. Um, we're in the waiting room and they say, you're on next. We're bumping you up. Get ready and, and, and come. We got all mic'd up and everything. They're rushing you through the whole process. Um, and they're building up the hype too, I think, a little bit just to, to kind of get your nerves up and running to make for better TV. It is reality TV at the end of the day. And, and they put you up at the door and they're like, are you, are you guys ready? And we're like, we think we're ready. And they're like, all right open the door, go. And you've never been on set before. You've never done anything. You're like walking down and like the only thing you know to do is go to the X on the mark and, and, and start your pitch. No one says go. No one tells you what to do. You literally just walk down the stairs and you get started. Um, most pitches are between two minutes. Uh, all pitches are two minutes and then Q&A can last from no questions at all to 10 minutes of Q&A. Um, you know, if you're a fantastic company, you might get 20 minutes. Uh, the, the longest anyone's ever been in there was for 45 minutes of, of Q&A. We go through the process and keep asking questions and ask more questions, ask more questions, ask more questions. We were in there for an hour and 45 minutes being grilled on these bright lights. It was, I don't remember a single thing that happened in the hour and 45 minutes. I just, I was so nervous, but uh, it, it went fantastic. Obviously uh, we got a deal. We we're super excited. It was one of the best parts of, of being on the show. Um, and um, and it, it, was a, it was actually a fantastic experience. We had a very kind of, um, it was a very educated conversation that we had that had a lot to do with regulatory, a lot to do with ins and outs of our businesses. Um, and it was, uh, it was pretty good to say businesses because of Tactex and Milo together. So there's a little bit of confusion on how they operate and, and they work. So uh, it was a fantastic experience. So, um, but that again was before we had even launched the application. This is a pre-launch company. We're pitching as if the application already launched. Um, fast forward a year later and they're finally airing this and you know we have tens of thousands of people on the platform we built a reputation we're like what are they going to air we have no idea how they're going to cut an hour and 45 minutes down of what we don't remember anything of into something um it was really interesting because we actually walked in we got a deal almost immediately um it had gone really 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 well and then they started grilling us some questions it got so tough tougher tougher and we got discouraged all of a sudden we got a deal and that was fantastic and as soon as we got a deal we we were able to set the stage and then um, everyone who went out went out because they either weren't experts in the industry or they had conflicting uh, conflict of interest investments, so they weren't able to participate. Um, the way they showed on TV was not that way at all. They they showed everyone exiting beforehand. They showed all these different things. So they built up the drama and the hype a little bit more. It is reality TV, but uh, we're still very happy with the whole process, and I'd recommend everyone to to do it. So how how do you how does one keep their composure when uh, there's the the bright lights the TV camera and there's the uh, the dragons looking to breathe fire on you? Don't ask me. I have no idea what happened for that hour and a half. I completely <laughs> blacked out. Like that's well, that's good. In fact, uh, I saw in the video you guys there were three different investors who got in together to to make a deal. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we got the first deal and then everyone kind of went out to decide if they're going to be in and out. And then uh, Michelle and Arlene decided to jump in on the deal. Michelle was a fintech expert. Arlene had a VC fund. So they uh, they went through the whole thing. And then right after the show, they, they brought us a term sheet to, to sign and, and get started right off there. So it was, uh, it was a pretty smooth and seamless process. That's cool. Um, so what kind of things do you, uh, do you ever a, find the time and B, when you do, what do you like to do to de-stress from... Uh, Absolutely. So uh, I love building businesses. Um, I actually enjoy the kind of intellectual challenges associated with it. And I coach and mentor a lot of startups um, through that process. So for me, it's uh, getting involved with the different entrepreneurs and, and part of that process. So for me, I, I love the whole thing. And it sounds weird to do work uh, to de-stress, but it's, it's, it's not work. It's, it's a lot of fun to go through that process and, and, and make that happen. And then other times I go, I take my dirt bike out, I go snowboarding, I go skiing, I do some uh, different fun activities, go with friends. So definitely, uh, definitely live the regular life. Nice. So, um, what advice would you give to the future entrepreneurs in this room or watching on Facebook? Absolutely. A um, couple different things. I think uh, never give up. Um, the only difference between success and failure, as cliche as this may sound, is perseverance. Um, people will tell you no repeatedly, 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 um, and you have to take the take what's beneficial and what they say and leave the rest, or else you're gonna quit day one. So that's that's one thing that's really important. Um, another thing that's really important is do customer discovery. Don't go in and build your idea without doing any type of like market landscape and understanding what your products want because you're going to spend your head down for 12 months. You're going to build something. You're going to spend a lot of money, a lot of resource, a lot of energy, and then it's just going to flop, right? But if you build a product that people tell you that they want and you're, you're taking that feedback, it's going to set yourself up for, for success uh, significantly. Um, and finally, uh, last piece of advice, uh, start fundraising early. We, we talked about it, but build those relationships. Uh, you don't want to, uh, all investors are human, right? And, 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 and it's, it's something that everyone forgets. They all expect it to be the dragon's den pitch, but the only reason why it's the dragon's end pitch is because you're going into the last minute. So start fundraising early. It's, it's a really important process. And um, in that uh, raising funds, what's uh, the best avenue to, to go with first? I think it all depends on your, your type of business, right? And there are different types of businesses you build. Not everyone's building a venture-backed, scaled business uh, that's going to try to compete globally. You know, there's nothing wrong with building a small business that's driven off revenue. There are ways that you can do pre-sales and actually launch uh, launch products and, and, and get your consumers to fund your actual business building. You can do equity crowdfunding. Um, you know, there's so many different things you can do. Um, but if you're going through the traditional kind of building your, your, your startup Silicon Valley style, um, friends and family, get started, validate, bootstrap, be extremely frugal in everything you're doing. Don't spend money where you don't have to. I'm still, I feel like I'm so cheap and uh, we've raised $4 million and we're still kind of making sure that we're spending our money effectively. Um, go through, uh, get some good validation. And when you go through customer discovery process, document everything, you can actually raise on an idea if you show the right validation beforehand um, build your proof of concept get it out to market as fast as possible then you can go through you know your seed series a series b type of fundraising um, there are a lot of great kind of accelerated programs some that don't even charge any money at all that you can participate in they can help coach you and get you through the right pro uh, process and finally find a mentor everyone's willing to sit down with you and talk to you uh, i talked to a bunch of very high profile montreal founders that helped me in my process and i sit around i turn around i give the same advice advice to some other founders who are just getting started for the very first time. So um, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, communicating with people who have had more experience with you and helping others that have maybe less and, and learning from that process as well. 
How do you go about uh, re reaching out to, to someone who you may or may not know and uh, who basically you want help out of, but they have uh, not that maybe not as much time and uh... networking is key. Um, everyone's uh, accessible in one way or the other, and, and um, sometimes it's uh, showing. I mean, there's value to be given and received at the same point, right? So. Um, don't waste someone's time. You, you go out, you do your the right amount of research, you come in with educated questions, you show that you're making progress. And if you have a meaningful conversation with someone, well, chances are they're going to want to have a second and a third and a fourth conversation with you. Um, but if you go out and, you're, and the conversation's not very meaningful, I mean, it's going to be They're going to look at their priorities and say, you know, um, I, I might have other priorities to do. So uh, there's definitely a way to, to make a meaningful conversation with everyone. And, and networking out there is extremely important. So if you go out there and, and there's a way to meet someone at every single meetup event that you go to. Wonderful. And uh... Do you, uh, do you have anything else you want to add or maybe uh, even a, a message uh, you want to pass on? Don't give up. Just keep going. I mean, that's, that's really the only difference between success and failure is you just keep going every single day. Um, people are going to tell you no all the time. I have people who told me no three years ago or like, wow, Phil, we really made a mistake. You know, like we believe in what you're doing now and you've really done exactly what you said. Just keep to it. It's uh, if you keep on going, you will succeed no matter what. Thanks for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.